Father God, I just pray over the children of this church. I pray over the children's ministers of this church. I pray over their leader, Shelly. I pray and I just ask God that you just lead them into your presence as their first and foremost priority. That your presence is the place they desire to reside more than anything else in the world. That they find the joy of the Lord that is their strength. That they find the truth of the word of God is a rock on which they can stand. And the revelation through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ as their Lord becomes the life that they commit to. And they follow all the days of their lives on this earth. So we thank you for the children. Lord, we ask that you help us to bridge the gaps between generations. That we see the value that you see in everyone, from the youngest to the oldest. We all have something to offer you and your kingdom. Don't ever let us belittle or dismiss or disregard anybody based off of our opinions or preferences. But let us lean into your truth. Let us lean into your sovereignty, your preeminence. And that you just show us and teach us the right way. And lead us in it forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, Praise Fellowship. Morning. Hi, you guys. <laughs> Whew. That was a, uh, that was a time. <laughs> that was a time. My goodness. Oh, praise the Lord. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to just sense the transition here. I know sometimes it can, even though it's all worship, even though it's everything is worship from the music that's played to the word that's preached, it's all a part of worshiping our God. Sometimes, you know, when parts of it, I was just sense it was the stimulation, right? There's parts of it that if, they, they stimulate senses, you know, and there's so many kind of more senses that get engaged when we're in these, like, oh, these, like, you know, loud moments and the music's building and, you know, the, the spirit and the presence and all of these things. And then it can feel like whiplash when you're coming out of that place of just, like, real presence into the place of being here. And I just don't want to ever, I don't want to ever have a disconnect. And so I want to try to steward that. That, that transition into the word, because it's so important that we look at the time of the word as something to be cherished, something to, to be as engaged with, with all of our senses, as the time of worship. That we, are, that we look at this as something that literally feeds us, right? Just like food for our soul and for our spirit. And so uh, as we're getting ready to engage the word, don't let, don't let yourself get comfortable. All right, guys? Don't let yourself get comfortable. Because I really sense that the Lord wants to say something to us all this morning. And, um, and uh, I just, 
I know that the, the passage that he's pulled out for me this morning that to, is like the key passage, you know, is Jesus himself talking to his disciples. And it's, uh, it's, it's not a very comfortable thing um, sometimes when Jesus teaches his disciples. How many of you know that? <laughs> yeah, right? And, uh, and so I don't want you to, to disengage or remove yourself. I want you to try to, as best as you can to keep all your senses engaged to the Holy Spirit into what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to say to you this morning. In every message, there's going to be things that you're like, eh, but there's going to be something. If you're listening to him and not me, you're going to get something. And so I just really want to advocate that you guys listen for the voice of the Lord this morning and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? What are you saying to your church? Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is the forms in which he communicates. And so we, it, we, you know, we can become sometimes, I'm going off on a lot of things already. Um, so, but we can, we can really become so focused either on self or on things outside of self. And then you know, we, we kind of miss the progression that God's trying to emphasize. We are to focus on all of it and to pursue all of it because he wants to connect us to all of it. He wants to connect you to your plan and your purpose so that you can pour into all of it. Be changed in yourself. Impact those around you. Impact collectively those around all of us and then so on and so forth. Like this is not just a small thing. This commissioning is massive. And so, yes, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so we've been talking the last few weeks about this idea of repentance. Three weeks ago, I brought a, a message on repentance, and then in between we had the, the pastor installation service, which was such a blessing. And then last week, uh, Pastor Peter Saikama, he was here, praise the Lord, and he brought a message on repentance too uh, that was very compelling. And, um, and so... He referenced something, though, last week in the middle of his message that really kind of ties what he was talking about to what uh, we might be, you know, we're planning on, you know, if the Lord doesn't direct us any other way, we're planning on talking about this for like the next maybe three weeks. And he talked about in his message of repentance, he referenced King David in his Psalm 51 probably one of the more famous psalms of David. And it was um, his psalm after uh, his adultery with Bathsheba. And it was a psalm after he had done, he had really spun a web of deceit and sin and discord. And Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and calls him out on it because the Lord showed Nathan that this is what the king had done. And then David in such a beautiful way, he, he, he allows the spirit. He doesn't become proud. He doesn't take, you know, arrogance. Like, he's, he's, he doesn't come against Nathan and, and destroy him and try to cover it up. But he allows the man of God to speak into his life. And then he allows himself to become broken and contrite over it. And he, he, he ends up saying in his psalm that that's the sacrifice that truly pleases the Lord, is a broken and contrite heart. And so, so Peter was talking about this idea of repentance last week, 
But the idea I'm going to be talking about this morning is really found in the beginning of Psalm 51, 1 through 3. Um, and this is just to kind of transition us from repentance into the next idea, which is have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. The idea that we are going to be talking about this morning is this idea of God's forgiveness. Because repentance and forgiveness goes hand in hand. Forgiveness is who God is. Some of you know that. Some of you have tasted and you know that that is who God is. And David knows this. That's why he's saying this. He's like, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That's what he's saying there. Forgive me of my transgressions. But he knows God's standard of forgiveness is a complete eradication of sin. That's God's standard for forgiveness. It's a complete removal. And David knew that. And so he prays this prayer in such a broken and beautiful way. Because he knows if he comes to him through his repentance, authentic, genuine, broken repentance over his sin, and he confesses it, and he seeks the Lord because of it, that the result of that seeking is going to be tender, loving kindness and mercy poured out over him that erases his iniquities. And so, so something we want to, to kind of address and we feel a prompting from the Lord within this house to address it is this area of forgiveness. You may say like to yourselves, like, man, they're picking some heavy topics coming in. You know, we're just getting going here, pastoring here, and we're coming in talking about repent, repentance, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now we're talking about forgiveness, which, you know, has its own negative connotations and it has its own weight that it carries with it. And, uh, and so you might be thinking like, wow, this is, when are we going to get to the really good loving stuff of Jesus? It's like, guys, here's a secret. This is it. This is the good loving stuff of Jesus Christ. This is the good love. I couldn't possibly tell you what a wonderful loving relationship I've grown with forgiveness and repentance in my life. Through God restoring our marriage I'm like, I can't tell you, my wife and I, and where we're at in the place of being able to confess to one another and being able to receive gracious, gracious, loving kindness because she knows she's a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner, and so we're able to find this neutral ground where we both recognize that without Jesus' grace, like, right. we're nothing. Right. And so... And in and, and, and other ways, in other people in my life who I've grown to cultivate relationships of accountability, and I'm able to call them and say, hey, I've been struggling with this. I've been going through this. I've been having a hard time. I've been extremely angry lately. I've been extremely disappointed lately. You know, and we bring those things forward, and then we say, I'm just, you confess it, and you say sorry to whoever you need to say sorry to. You say sorry to God, and then he just, instantaneously gone from the sight of the Lord. 
Um, and so I, so I want to talk. We have kind of three key areas over the next few weeks we're talking about. And um, hold on, I don't want to skip this really quick. So the reason, I was saying that we've been seeking the Lord, and the Lord's been talking to us and saying, you know, start with some repentance, start with, you know, this area of forgiveness. And so I, I was like, all right, Lord, well, why? Like, what's the point of starting in these places? Because I don't want it to just be heavy and weighed down. I want there to be, you know, a, a hope set before you guys. I want there to be that, you know, that hope that's set before you. And as Kira and I were in our word this morning together, and we were, or not this morning, it was earlier in the week, and Kira brought this verse to me, and she's like, I feel like this is why God has us in this place right now and why we're talking about this right now. And um, it's out of 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Paul is admonishing the church of Corinthians at this point. And, but, and he's saying, your glorying is not good. Because they were boasting, even though that they knew there was sin in the house that was being undealt with. But they were, they were boasting um, in any number of things. But he says, so your boasting is not good. Your glorying is not good. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Guys, I want us to be a new lump. <laughs> we need to become a new lump that he can roll out and he can turn into whatever kind of bread he wants to make. Maybe he's looking to make muffins. I don't know, but we need to be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, or purge out the old leaven that makes you a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so the desire here is, you know, just coming in and saying, opportunity, opportunity to bring out whatever you need to bring out, to repent of whatever you feel that is laid heavily upon you to repent of, and to then seek forgiveness. That's what we're after. Because unless we grow in this area and the health of this house, the unity we talk about so frequently in the church is impossible. Because unforgiveness keeps us disunified. We can't look at somebody with unforgiveness and see them with the eyes of Christ. You can't. You can't look at somebody with that in your life and, and see them with the love in the eyes of Christ. Because he looks at you through his blood. Therefore, you're made clean for those who believe. So we're going to be talking about today, I just want to really go on this bender of God's kind of forgiveness. <laughs> uh, because I want, I want us to catch, if we don't understand God's kind of forgiveness, how do we go about forgiving ourselves, which is going to be hopefully one week. We'll talk about what it looks like to forgive ourselves and what it looks like for relational forgiveness to occur. So those are the areas of forgiveness we really want to go over. It's like, but we want to start in this place with God's forgiveness and how God presents it to his disciples, Jesus himself. And guys, I'm harping on this because forgiveness is a large theme 
within the Bible. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> Julie, did you know that? <laughs> I, I'm so glad I could bring you this information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I figured before you heckled me, I'd heckle you. So just covering my bases there. Okay, good. Um, so yeah, <laughs> anyways, forgiveness is a large theme. Uh, it's uh, the words forgive, forgiven, um, forgiving, forgave. They, they appear within scriptures 137 times. And you're like, well, that's not a lot in the grand scheme of all 66 books. Well, the other related words, terminology like pardon, blot out, take away, cover, purge, release, reconcile, cancel, wash, and cleanse, they appear approximately between forgiven and those words, it's pretty evenly balanced, about 160-ish per testament, New Testament, Old Testament. They're, they're, the, the, the approximation of the grand total is 450 times that this idea of forgiveness is brought out in the text. And I would say at that point, it's making this idea a foundational truth of our faith. When it's brought out that much, when it's a part of so much of what God's trying to say through us, to us throughout all of history, he's saying, get this, guys. Get this. And I might add, it's, all, it's almost always coupled with repentance, which is why we're do, doing these kind of back-to-back so I want to I take a lesson. We're going to learn a lesson from the rabbi himself, uh, Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Matthew. The key scripture is Matthew 18, 21 to 27 this morning. And we're going to... Oh. Sorry if my voice sounds a little raspy this morning while you're flipping your pages. Yesterday, AJ and I participated in a... Uh, it was a 12-hour worship burn up at Real Life Church. Guys, it was awesome. Uh, Paul and Becky were there. A number of people popped in and out throughout the, uh, throughout the day. But, oh, goodness. But I haven't had to play guitar and sing for like two, three hours in a row in a long time. So I'm like, ooh. So if I sound a little hoarse, that's why. Bear with me. Um, just killing time while you guys flip through the passages. Anyways, all right. So Matthew 18, 21 to 27. <laughs> so Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and that all he had, and with all he had, and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. 
I'm going to stop there. Um, the parable goes on, and it will probably be a part of what we utilize within the teachings as we move forward. But at this moment, I want to stop where the, uh, at this idea of the master's nature of forgiveness, because that's what we're focused on today. What we're, what we're really focusing on is, is how God forgives. And so if you go back up to the top and you read the very first uh, part of the passage, and Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You know, it's funny, and I was looking up, you know, forgive or, my, or some of the digging deeper, contextualizing this particular line, right? And he said, my brother, and the word that's used is most likely referring to the other disciples, the brothers and sisters of faith that were around him. And I just think it's funny because Peter, of all people, they were probably like, yeah, Lord, how often? Because I need to forgive Peter a lot. <laughs> it's like his particular nature and, uh, and uh, just impetuous self. I mean, I'm sure they probably feel like, oh, Peter, come on, man. Oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> but yeah, so it's funny that Peter's like, hey, how often do I need to forgive one of them? Um, and he, he's like, up to seven times? And, you know, maybe you've heard this before. I'm not preaching anything new here. I'm like, but this is interesting. He thinks he's being so generous with this number. And the reason being is that the teachers of the time, they kind of set a standard for forgiveness within the faith, and it was three. So the teachers of the time were saying, Oh, you have to you forgive up to three times. After that, you can take them to court. You can divorce, you know, like whatever it might be. But it was three was the standard by which they set. And so Peter's thinking, seven, Lord, look at me. Look how magnanimous I am, right? And, uh, and then Jesus, of course, per Jesus' style, comes back and says, 70 times seven. And it's Jesus, he always would do this to them. And he'd use hyperbole, this idea of just really emphatic speech in order to get them to understand you can't do it on your own. You can only do it with and through me. And so he would say this to them, knowing that none of them are going in their, in their right mind are going to say to somebody who offends them, I forgive you. One, I forgive you again. Two, I forgive you, Dorothy. Three, <laughs> like nobody's going to count the 490 times. Amen. So they recognize in his statement, yeah, amen. <laughs> that, that comes from a person who's tried. You're like, that amen. But they recognize in the statement that, uh, that he, he's saying, like, this is impossible. Just like when he said to them, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's saying, you can't overcome these things without me. And so this is one of the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach them in this, is that you can't forgive like you're trying to forgive without receiving what I have for you. Forgiveness. And so he then goes on right after that to say the kingdom of heaven is like this. 
Whenever Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, we need to pay attention. We need to eat it up. Because that's what we want on this earth as it is in heaven. And he's telling us the recipes and these things. He's showing us the, the direction by which we are supposed to live and construct our lives in order that the kingdom of heaven can come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus doesn't mess around with what the earth does or how the earth operated. He was very, very focused on what the kingdom of heaven looked like because he realized that he needed to rewire the way in which the disciples were thinking. Culture had taught them up to a point what forgiveness looked like, up to three times, what, you know, kingdoms looked like, you know, Rome, Israel kingdom, all of these things. They were, all, like, they were being taught through culture, all of these things. And Jesus is having to rewire their thinking by saying, no, it's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And he reiterates this. In Matthew, he says it a number of times throughout the book of Matthew. He says things like, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sowed good seed. And all of these statements are things we need to really delve into so that we can understand how to live the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And, um, and so th this is, see, so he's trying to get them to understand this is how forgiveness works in the kingdom of heaven. There was a certain king. And he goes on to tell the rest of the story about the king and the servant. And the servant in the story, he says that the servant owes him 10,000 talents. This was another hyperbole. <laughs> this was another use of extreme debt that could not and cannot be paid by the means of men. 10,000 talents, and this is on the conservative side, would have been worth about 20 years of labor today. Or around 12 million to a billion dollars. That's the conservative side. On the more liberal side of scholars, they say it could have been around 200,000 years of labor, 60 million working days. Get to work, boy. Yeah, right? $3.48 billion by today's currency standards. So Jesus is saying the debt that he owed him was absolutely not payable. And, and then the man does exactly what a man does because it's in our nature. He, he breaks down before him and what does he say? Have patience with me and I will pay you all. As if that's possible. It wasn't, and it isn't, and it isn't for us. The debt we owe is far too great. Our sin was far and is far too great. There is only one way, and that's to embrace the love of our Father God that was made manifest through his Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and paid the price of your debt, and became our Passover lamb. 
so that the angel of death would pass over. That's what this is. His blood is on the doorpost of those who say, you are Lord of my life. And then his, his vision of you is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it became the new veil, you guys. It's the, it's the, we, yes, there was a ripping of the traditional veil when he was crucified, but his blood became the thing in which God can encounter us through and see us through, and we're made whole, and we're made perfect, and we're made new, and he looks at you. Whenever you come to him and say, forgive me, he's like, done. No more. Transgression blotted out. Come on. I know I'm crying, but I'm also smiling. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's just such a beautiful exchange. And so when Tammy was up here during worship, and she's like, I feel like there's an exchange that's got to happen. I was just down here, and I'm just like, oh, God, let them understand. Let them hear you, Jesus. The exchange that, they, that you want to give to those who say, I'm so sorry, forgive me for what I've done. And then the same statement that was made on the cross over those tormentors who were piercing him, crucifying him, whipping him, that when he looks out over them and says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, he's saying that over every single one of you. Yeah. Every single one of you. Amen. But here's the key and I love it so much, to God's forgiveness, which is what we're focusing on. Here's the key. It's how compassionate he is. He doesn't just look at you and sympathize. He doesn't just look at you and empathize. He looks at you in action. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like he, compassion is sympathy and empathy put into action. So he doesn't just passively say, oh, I'm so sorry. He says, no, here is my son in whom I am well pleased to be the Passover lamb for you. So he doesn't just disregard. So forgiveness, guys, by God's standard, blots it out, all right, and it is not passive, it is active. It takes an engagement. He became Emmanuel, God with us. He came to earth to dwell with us, to understand the, 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 the trials of men in order that he might overcome them and rescue us from death. And so, so that's the idea. The key to forget, forgiveness, kingdom forgiveness, it's not just feeling feelings that somebody's going through. It's not just, you know, thinking thoughts. Because sometimes we can think in our flesh that that somehow satisfies it. Because I felt sad with you, right? It's like, but what can you do in addition? And now do in addition is as simple as pray. And prayer is not simple. So I take that statement back. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can do when somebody comes to you and says, I'm struggling with something. And you're like, I, I can pray. And we say, we, we disregard that power far too often. 
and dismiss it and say it without following through with it. But guys, we need to follow through with it because that's compassion. Compassion is follow through and action. And so compassion is an, it's an emotional response to empathy or sympathy and creates a desire to help. So that it leads us through just feeling to doing. And Jesus, the man who is declaring this news to his disciples, it's evidenced all throughout his life. In Mark 1, 4, or 41, he says, it says, Jesus was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep with having no shepherd. Jesus had compassion in Matthew 20, 34. Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. In Luke 7, 13 to 15, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I have, or I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. Amen. Guys, God's compassion is available. His forgiveness is available to every single one of us. And so I... I, I going to wrap up at this point, um, and so I, I was going to ask Kurt, if you wouldn't mind, maybe doing a little, and we're going to offer an opportunity for anybody who is interested in coming forward. I was going to ask the prayer team, or uh, pastoral team, so Rich and Ann, AJ and Tammy, Kira, if you guys want to come up, and, um, and we're just going to offer an opportunity for anybody here. I always want there to be opportunities to step into that which is preached here on a Sunday morning. And so um, if you want to come forward and you just want to step into this and say, I, it can be confession, repentance, forgiveness. You want, to, you want to have an opportunity to come up and just step into that which God is offering to do today, which is a complete and utter eradication of whatever sin is in your life, past, present, all right, whatever sin, something you're holding on to that you do not, you're like, this is holding me back from being closer in relationship with my Savior. Anything that is stopping you from understanding the compassionate love of God and experiencing it for yourself, I just want to offer an opportunity for, for people to come forward. And, uh, and I'm just going to close us out in prayer over the whole fellowship. And for those that have to go, you can go. And for those that want to engage, you can engage. For those who want to hang out, you can hang out. I just ask that you do the hanging out out in the lobby area, coffee shop area, all right? So that whatever ministry is going on in here is just being respected and being, um, you know, 
revered because we want to allow God to work in this place. And so, Father God, I just thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you and praise you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. And it is the most desired thing I could want, that we could want in this house is your presence, King of heaven. And so, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to be poured out here. We ask for your spirit to be poured out at the altar, to minister, Lord, because we can't, we can't minister without you. We can't do it rightly without your power, without your spirit, without you showing up. And so, God, I just ask that uh, as we go about our week and go about our days, and go about our minute to minutes and hours to hours, Father, that you grab a hold of our attention more and more so that we do not go days at a time without engaging with you, Jesus, and without engaging with your spirit, that we don't even go a day without engaging with your spirit, with intentionality. Father God, develop in us and make us into a praying people a Bible-reading people, a people who devote intentionally time with their Savior. Help us understand that living sacrifices is worship. Redefine worship in our minds that we don't look at it as just music on a Sunday morning or something we listen to in the car, but we understand it is our life laid down. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you for this fellowship. I ask that you continue to knit us together, draw us into your presence, into one family, one body, with you as the head. And I pray all of this in your mighty and powerful name, Jesus. Your name and yours alone. All God's people said, amen. amen.